0: expand your mind and enrich your world. It's time for another outstanding podcast from ICRT. Extra, extra, read all about it.
1: It's time. 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 Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week, a roundup of the top news stories from around the island over the past seven days. I'm Keith Mancone of ICRT News. Joining me in studio, as always, is Gavin Phipps, also of ICRT News. Gavin? Yes, good evening. And from Kaohsiung, we're joined by ICRT correspondent Michael Smith. Michael, how are you doing? Very well. Thanks for having me. So we're going to start off today with a story that's been making headlines around the world, uh, but it's probably safe to say nowhere has it caused a bigger stir than here in Taiwan. Earlier this week, the Ma administration formally sent in a request to join the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, that is, an institution established by China as a means of increasing investment in Asia. Now, Beijing says it welcomes Taiwan's participation. Some conditions apply, but the Ma administration's sudden announcement that it was planning to seek membership in the China-led bank has set off public outcry here in Taiwan. And by public outcry, we're talking about scuffles in the Legislative Yuan and an attempt by demonstrators to breach the main entrance of the presidential building. So, Gavin, clearly emotions are running high on this issue. Uh, what are the main lines of criticism the administration is facing?
2: Well, the, of course, it was the members of the Black Island Youth Front who attempted to enter the presidential office late Tuesday and early Wednesday in protest against the government's plans to join the China-led bank. And they were basically demanding that the government make basic government procedure more transparent vis-a-vis, you know, the government have said that it was first thinking about joining this bank last November. But The first thing anyone heard about this was three weeks ago here.
1: So they're more focused on the process than anything else. Yeah, yeah.
2: They're not, and they also said they want to seek more public consensus on whether to join the bank. So they're not saying, you know, let's not join the bank outright. They're saying, you know, hey, look, you know, make the joining of the bank more transparent, you should have told us when you were first thinking about it, not like three months later. And we'd also like to see the public involved in the sort of the vetting process of whether to join the bank or not.
1: Right. And so we're, we're hearing again this term that we heard last year a lot during last year's protest, this black box decision making. Uh, they feel like it was all made in a black box. But of course, uh, there's also been criticism from the legislature about uh, some of the procedural aspects of how this application has happened. Uh, w- w- what kind of complaints are we hearing there?
0: Well, so far, um, over 40 countries have either signed up or have uh, signed letters of intent that they are planning on joining. And some of the rumors out of the U.S. were hinting that America was sort of hoping that its allies might possibly stay away from this one as it is so China-dominated. However, it seems that a lot of countries have decided that it's probably in their best interest to go ahead and sign up. So Taiwan did submit a letter of intent, but one of the biggest criticisms, especially from the talking heads down here in the South, is that the letter that was sent that it said uh, we intend to join had no official government letterhead. It did not apply as Chinese Taipei, which is what we use for the Olympics. It also didn't even apply as the separate customs area of Taiwan Penghu Mazu, another term that's used for other economic deals. It simply sent a letter that had the address of a minister building in Taipei on Aiguo Road, and the minister signed it. But it was so unofficial and inoffensive and obviously designed to be that way so that China could decide on what terms uh, they would be interested in allowing Taiwan to join. So I think one of the biggest criticisms a lot of people have is like, well, what is joining? who is joining? What are we joining? How are we joining as and none of this has been put out into the open it hasn 't been transparent, so these things are grating a lot of people
1: right and Taiwan always kind of faces this issue whenever it tries to join any international body uh, in what form is it going to join this international body? Of course, this is going to be an even bigger issue when that international body is founded and dominated by China so of course these issues are going to resurface,
2: but of course the government is trying to Sway this away from being, like, cross-strait centric. Exactly. They saying that it's, it's actually, although it's led by China, there are 21 other countries going to lead this bank. So although it's going to be based in China and centre on Asian regional development, the 21 other signatories to head the bank also have a lot of say in how it's run. Of course, there was a memorandum of understanding signed by the 21 countries, which the government says allows them... To pick the members and how they should join. So, again, it's not just Beijing picking the members and how they'll join. These 21 other countries are supposedly, allegedly, on paper, allowed to have a say in how Taiwan should join the bank. And uh, and Premier Mao
1: Zedong has, uh, you know, facing this criticism, he has pledged that Taiwan will only enter this bank if it's uh, allowed to enter on equal terms. But he hasn't really been specific about what that means. And I think what a lot of people are waiting to see is some specifics, because uh, there's still a lot of questions about this bank.
0: Yeah, and uh, on a side note, uh, it really is named rather horribly. AIIB just does not roll off the tongue. They should have thought about that. <laughs> uh,
1: now, this uh, institution, the AIB, does not roll off the tongue. You're right, Eric, <laughs> uh, is expected to be set up by the end of this year. So this is definitely a story that we're going to be following uh, as it continues to unfold. Uh, but next up, we're going to have to move on to uh, this week. There was a brief bit of speculation that the government may lower the legal motorcycle driving age to 16, uh, down from the current 18 years old that you got to be. Uh, But teenagers out there don't get too excited. These early reports were quickly refuted when Minister of Transportation and Communications Chen Yu said Monday that he does not favor lowering the legal age, uh, and the ministry was simply seeking opinions from schools about the proposed change in policy.
2: Yes, I mean, Transport Minister Chen Jien-yu said this week when he openly came out and opposed the move, and these are his exact words quoted by several English language media outlets in Taiwan, young adolescents lack the necessary emotional stability to handle driving, and driving in more rural areas is more dangerous as well.
0: Well, let me uh, just say that down here in Kaohsiung, uh, where things are a little bit more relaxed uh, when it comes to legality, uh, you commonly see kids uh, in the neighborhood of uh, even 14 or 15 years old on scooters riding around the city. And yeah, they get busted from time to time, but not that often. And because scooters are so easy to operate and uh, they're so ubiquitous across the island, we have a very, very high death rate among students or among young people, especially the Kaohsiung, Tainan, Pingdong areas. So the government is asking, well, if we lowered the age to 16, gave them the right to get the licenses, they would have... Traffic training, and also they would be legally responsible for whatever incidents might occur if they have that license. If they don't, as it is right
2: now, they get fined. I think it's around twelve thousand NT, and that's about it. So, yeah, I've got a statistic here from a KMT lawmaker by the name of Lee Kuan Seng, who said, according to a report he saw, three point five students die in collisions every week, and a total of one thousand eight hundred nineteen people died in traffic accidents here in Taiwan last year, and of those. "'students aged between 16 and 24 accounted for the most deaths.' And, of course, there was a huge number of underaged, unlicensed students who also died in these accidents. And apparently they're ten times more likely to die than any other age group.
1: Right. And so this week we kind of saw a parade of legislators making the argument against lowering uh, the age. Uh, So it doesn't seem like there's a lot of political support out there for this change. uh, But kind of getting back to a point that Eric was making a moment ago, uh, a lot of
2: young drivers are just doing this anyway. Isn't that right, Gavin? Yeah. So, I mean, if people are going to drive underage, like they do in every country, I mean, people drive underage in every country. It's not something you can't stop it. You can't ban it. You can make it illegal, but people will do it. But if you gave them licenses, theoretically, they would learn how to ride a motorbike rather than simply getting on one.
0: Yeah, down here in the south, there's been at least two high school principals who uh, went on news programs to offer their support for the proposal. So. Even though the legislators or the Ministry of uh, Transportation might not be on board, I think a lot of teachers and parents and a lot of other people do actually support the idea because, as we've been saying, it gives their kids a chance to at least uh, go through the test and hopefully learn a little bit about road safety. And then should an accident occur, they would have legal avenues to pursue. If it was not their fault or if it was their fault, they would have to be held responsible legally.
1: Moving on. Uh, Today... And I do mean today, marks 100 days since the mayors of Taiwan's six largest municipalities took office. And earlier this week, we learned a little bit about what residents in those cities think about their top official. Survey released by the TVBS Poll Center tracked overall approval ratings for these mayors and also broke down their performance by categories like boldness and integrity. So in this segment, we're going to take a closer look at what's behind these numbers and what these mayors have been up to in their first hundred days. Now, coming up first in the rankings was Tainan Mayor William Lai, who earned an overall approval rating of 76%. Very strong number there. Uh, Interestingly, he also came out on top in nearly all of the subcategories. So those were things like approval of his policies, uh, administration, his integrity. Uh, So clearly a very popular mayor. But one category that he only came in second in was boldness. That distinction went to Mayor Ko Wenji, of course. Uh, now Gavin uh, Ko didn't come in much behind Lai. Uh He also had pretty strong support, isn't that right?
2: Yeah, Ko Wenji in Taipei, of course, scored a seventy percent support rating in this poll, and that was a lot. Of that was based on what people are saying that it was his—he was boldness, mm. because of course he did pip William Lai and Tainan in the boldness category. And of course, the boldness—the bold, What has he done that's been bold? Well, he's tackled multinational building corporations. He's taken on far glory he's been quite polite about not actually knocking the previous government as well he's been polite he's, he's gone after it but he's not been overly like in tai which we'll hear from donovan later about where the mayor has basically attacked the previous administration Kerr has avoided outright attacking the previous kmt administration and just questioned some of the things that it might have done wrong but he hasn't assumed they've done them wrong he's also attacked the illegal buildings of course which annoy a lot of people. He's vowed to knock down illegal buildings, which is another good thing, unless you live on a a rooftop apartment. But, I mean, he's taking on a big business, I think, has proved to be Kerr's big move there. Big, big, big boldness. And uh, so, of course, there's a, there's two sides to this
1: whole boldness attribute. Um, he's also uh, been well known for kind of the, the gaffes that he's been producing, the, you know not necessarily being the most diplomatic of uh, mayors. Is there any chance that this is going to ding him uh, later on?
2: Well, in other, in, they had another poll in Taipei this week as well, along with the TVBS poll we were talking about there. There was another poll published this week by the Minchuan University, just about Taipei, and apparently... He did even stronger in that one. Well, he did, yeah. But, I mean, regarding his blunt speaking style, as it was called, when, his gaffes, when he's gaffed, when he's come out with a series of gaffes, he's insulted just about everybody, whether you be a male, a female, or a rabbit. Well, <laughs> 53, 53% of respondents to the Ming-Chuan poll said they were satisfied with his gaffes. Forty five percent said they were a bit offended, but more said that they got no problem with the way he speaks.
0: Yeah, well, it's basically his shtick, right, that he's not a politician and he's not one of these elite people and he shoots from the hip and he says it like it is. And for a lot of people uh, down here in the south as well, they they see that as a positive thing, not negative.
1: Well, speaking of uh, the South, you are our man in Kaohsiung down there, Michael. So, uh, poll results were also pretty strong for Mayor Chen
0: Ju. She's enjoying a 68% approval rating. Uh, what do you see behind that? Well, you know, she's been in office for quite a while now, and she's uh, almost like an institution down here. She is... Uh, very, very popular. And a lot of it has to do with what's perceived as her EQ or he, her emotional intelligence, the way that she's able to communicate with people, the way that she's able to touch people. And during her rallies uh, during the election last uh, year, people were weeping and she's just she's very good at getting that emotional uh, feeling out of people. However, her critics will say that that's all she does, and that that's all she's good at is political theater. And they've criticized the fact that Kaohsiung has not moved forward under her administration when it comes to payment, especially for people who are making minimum wage or lower rates, that jobs are still falling out of the city, people are moving out. So there are criticisms of her administration, but overall, she is extremely popular and will when she retires coming up here, she'll go down as one of Kaohsiung's most uh, effective and popular mayors.
1: All hey, right. So uh, that's a little bit on Kaohsiung. Now, to help us out with Taizhong, we have on the line a regular ICRT commentator and Taizhong resident, Donovan Smith. Uh, Donovan, good evening. Hey, good evening. So your mayor, Lin Jiao Long, has a somewhat weaker showing, with only 43% of residents approving of his leadership. Uh, seems like a low approval rating for someone who's just won their office. Uh, what's behind that?
3: Well, if you notice, the, the undecided numbers are at 40%. Now, of the three new mayors, Kowen and uh, Lin Jialong and Chung and Taoyuan, obviously Kowen gotten a lot, of press, uh, a lot of press attention, whereas I think the jury's still out with a lot of the public on Lin. Now, you'll notice that, and I strongly suspect that a lot of these people are in wait-and-see mode rather than undecided. Um, because if you notice there 's a, a new TVBS poll that just came out that asks people specific questions, like for example, promoting social welfare policies such as denture subsidies, and the "no opinion or undecided is far less, whereas that original poll had 40%. These polls, uh, these questions, their no opinion comes in at like 19%, 16%. For example, on the holding of this year's Lantern Festival, only 16% had no opinion. Uh, as for denture subsidies and that sort of thing, uh, again, only 19% had no opinion, but they did 40%, and this is the exact same number when they asked if you're satisfied with Taichung City uh, Mayor Lin Jallon's performance in attracting business investment and increasing and stabilizing em- employment. Again, it was a 40% no opinion, which strongly suggests that a lot of people actually are watching what the mayor's doing, but have not quite formed a, a solid opinion one way or the other.
0: Donovan, uh, which exact issues are the people waiting to make up their mind about?
3: That's a tough one, but I, I think uh, a few are pretty obvious. Uh, the, the direction of public transportation is is going to be a big one. And I suspect that this is where a lot of the wait-and-see is coming from. A lot of people actually do like the BRT, uh, and he's definitely gone after that. But on the other hand, he's done a lot of things which are also very popular on the transportation front as well. Uh, obviously, a lot of people did not like the BRT. But also he's talked about he's uh, going to pave the roads to make them very flat. And uh, to be fair, all of Taiwan has some, some has this problem. But Taichung uh, it has a long history here of very poor road quality. And if you ride a scooter or a motorcycle, it, it can be quite treacherous. So he's taking some bold steps on, on that kind of thing. And I think a lot of people are applauding that.
1: All right. Thank you, Donovan, for calling in. And thank you. Now, for those of you keeping track at home, you are right didn't have time to get to all of Taiwan's major cities. For the record, New Taipei City Mayor Eric Chu came in fourth place at 50%, and Taoyuan Mayor Chung-Wen San came in dead last at 42 But no time left now to crunch any more numbers because... No one wants to think about numbers when it's time to gear up for the annual spring concerts and festivals being held right now in Taiwan's south. Gavin, so what are we talking about here? Well,
2: we're not talking about just Spring Scream, of course, because the local press here like to call it all Spring Scream. But I believe there are about five or six events going on down there this tomb-sweeping weekend. I I think
0: uh, last I counted, there were seven or even as many as eight and we're talking about everything from like techno parties to the Spring Screen, which is more a uh, band related and uh, a pop festival at the airport that they've held for a few years. And this has just really exploded. It's it's quite amazing. Uh, yesterday, a international newspaper said that it's Asia's largest music festival. And it, I'm not sure if that's accurate because China has been doing some pretty big ones. But it definitely has swelled like crazy. Uh, I went to one of the first ones back in 1995, 1996, and we're talking about a couple hundred people. Then by the year 2005, the estimate is up to 30,000 individuals. In 2014, half a million people visited the music festivals in the Kending area. And they are thinking that number will be surpassed this year.
1: So as you guys are saying, you know, this has been around for a long time. A common complaint that I hear about the way that it's kind of turned out now is just the facilities down there aren't enough to accommodate how big it's all gotten. Sometimes it's hard to find a bathroom, hard to find food, hard to find accommodation.
0: Yeah. uh, To your point, Keith, a lot of the criticism is focused on the organizational aspects of it and the fact that the police, I mean, they spend quite a bit of money taking sniffer dogs down there to try to weed out, so to speak, a couple of drug users and they arrest a few people. But while that's all well and good, they're not really looking at the bigger issue of how to manage this half a million or even 600,000 people coming in. And using this very, very tiny strip of land. I mean, there's been suggestions that, for example, a large parking lot should be built somewhere in the Hengchuan area, and people should park the vehicles there and then be ferried in on electric buses, and perhaps electric scooters should be the only thing allowed in the park. But there seems to be no long-term plan for the Kending National Park, which is administered by the national park service so you have the pingdong government that's technically in charge of pingdong of course but then you have kending national park which is a national park so it gets sort of confused and lost in the who's in charge and who can make decisions about these things
2: yeah i mean they could look towards glastonbury in england which of course is on a private farm but it's a huge concert and of course closer to home they could look at the organization of fuji rock yeah good suggestions
0: both uh it, it. I mean, in my view, any plan would be better than no plan, which is what we've seen for the last decade. All right. Well, uh, we're going to have to leave it there. If you are listening
1: to this program right now, I sure do hope that you're in a car on your way down to the beach uh, and not spending your weekend like we will be uh, cooped up doing the news. Hopefully already at the beach and not in a car. Hopefully already at the beach because it's getting late. Let's be honest. It's getting late. You should be there already. All right. You can send us your thoughts on this week's main stories on the Facebook page or on our blog. You also will be able to find this program online at the ICRT website and on iTunes. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I'm Keith Manconi, joined as always by Gavin Phipps. Thank you, Gavin.
2: Yes, good night.
1: And Michael Smith. Thank you as well. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week.
3: Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look
1: at
0: the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, www.icrt.com.tw. Now, keep it here for more music and news, only on ICRT-FM 100.